Friday, the 22nd of September, and we celebrated her feast day over the weekend this past weekend, and I haven't had a chance to use this prayer yet, so I'm going to use St. Hildegard of Bingen's Holy Spirit Prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, comforting fire, life of all creation, anointing the sick, cleansing body and soul, fill this body. Holy Spirit, sacred breath, fire of love, sweetest taste, beautiful aroma, Fill this heart. Holy Spirit, filling the world from the heights to the depths, raining from clouds, filling rivers and seas, fill this mind. Holy Spirit, bringing light into dark places, igniting praise, greatest gift, our hope and encourager, Holy Spirit of Christ, I praise you. Amen. St. Hildegard, pray for us. Always like to bring that one out every once in a while. Hildegard, of course, a doctor of the church. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ogman at the controls. It's a Friday. We should treat it as such. It's been a long week for a lot of us. It's been a weird week in a lot of ways. I don't know about for you. has been for me. Up this hour, Father Philip Michael Tangora is going to discuss forgiveness, which is a major theme of the readings over the past few weekends at Mass. Chris Faddis will discuss Catholic Healthcare uh, from Solidarity Health Share. That's Chris's organization. Mike Aquilina will talk about uh, Antioch, which is the town that the Book of Acts tells us uh, where the believers of Jesus, the followers of the way, were first called Christians. And there's a lot of early Christian history associated with the city of Antioch. And then we'll talk to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture, get a preview of this weekend's Sunday Mass readings. So stay with us if you can. Two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis is preparing to leave later today for Marseille, France. Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Perelin is calling it an opportunity to promote a spirit of cohesion among European nations, particularly on the issue of migration. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins has more. The Pope is traveling to the southern French city to take part in the closing event of the Mediterranean meetings, which is bringing together bishops and young people to seek paths toward peace and solutions to the migration crisis. Cardinal Parolin said the Pope accepted the invitation to attend the meetings since it offers a valuable opportunity for sharing and building the common good. He said the Holy Father wants to bear witness in Marseille to a spirit of cohesion and concreteness as nations debate the issue of people's lives being lost at sea. Europe, he said, needs to move beyond a nearsighted focus on emergency response and aim toward farsighted vision. Cardinal Parolin said the world struggles to recognize the faces of people in need, preferring to turn them into numbers rather than faces. When we think about the drama of migrants, he said, we need to start from the priority of human dignity over any other legitimate consideration. The Cardinal acknowledged that there is no easy solution, but that the migration issue needs to be tackled through unified actions. He added that everyone should enjoy both the right to migrate and the right to stay, meaning that violence needs to be addressed at its root. No good deed is useless. No gesture of love and charity is wasted, said Cardinal Parolin. Christ is present in our attempts to love and care for the least among us. 
In conclusion, the Cardinal recalled that as Pope Francis travels to Marseille to highlight the issue of migration, the world is not starting from scratch. Christians and civil leaders across the Mediterranean, said Cardinal Parolin, need to work together and build collaboration and goodwill. I'm Devin Watkins. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has called for peace in Ukraine during the open debate at the United Nations Security Council. Archbishop Paul Gallagher said the international community cannot surrender and let this issue pass by in silence. He said, quote, in order to have a peaceful and secure future, all member states of the United Nations and especially those of the Security Council are called upon to join efforts in the search for a just and lasting peace for Ukraine as an important element of the global peace of which the world thirsts. It is better and cheaper for all to invest in peace instead of war, end quote. Russia is a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council. Meanwhile, President Biden has reaffirmed U.S. support for Ukraine. Biden hosted Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in the Oval Office for a bilateral meeting yesterday where he announced the U.S. will provide Ukraine with an additional $325 million in military aid. He told reporters no nation can be truly secure in the world if the U.S. and its allies don't stand up and defend Ukraine from Russian aggression. Zelensky, meanwhile, thanked Biden and the American people for ongoing military and humanitarian support. Parts of the East Coast will see a tropical storm warning this weekend. Mark Mayfield has more. The National Hurricane Center issued the warning from just below Wilmington, North Carolina, up to the Maryland-Delaware state line. It's calling the low-pressure area potential tropical cyclone 16, and depending on when it's officially named, it could either be Ophelia or Philippe. A storm surge watch was also issued for parts of the coastline. I'm Mark Mayfield. The United Auto Workers strike against the big three U.S. automakers has reached the one-week mark. Today is also the deadline set by UAW President Sean Fain that would see more workers heading to the picket lines if progress isn't made. Nearly 13,000 auto workers remain on strike at three plants in Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri. Auto workers are getting better pay and pension benefits. And the 49ers continued their stellar start to the season with a 30-12 throttling of the New York Giants in Thursday night football. Quarterback Brock Purdy completed 25 of 37 passes for 310 yards and a pair of touchdowns as San Francisco improved to 3-0. The Giants are now 1-2 with no Saquon Barkley. No Saquon Barkley in the mix. Well, that's part of it, but uh, just, you know, the, Gi- uh, the Giants, I mean, they look okay this year, but the 49ers look unstoppable. I know, right? I mean... And this whole thing with Purdy, and he was the last guy picked in the draft, is that right? Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah. So, uh, but you've also got, like, in, I mean, you got Debo Samuel, and you've got, like, Christian McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. you got Ayuk, good team. And you got, like, Bosa. It's, it's a very... I'm Thank you kind of for surprised. mentioning Bosa. I knew you would want me to mention Bosa. Yes. Thank you, Matt. Go Bucks. Let's talk about Justin Fields now. Yeah, let's do it. Having a, the Bears are not having as good of a year. Not every single person who graduates from Ohio State, the Ohio State University, and Ohio State University, goes on to have amazing success. The, the Ohio NFL. State. But the NFL is a hard league. Yeah, that's true. 
And sometimes they thing. have good years, and sometimes they just, you know. Save. I'm not going to sit here in a chair with my unathletic body and tell people that they're not good at sports. We have a lot of domers that come on the Sunrise Morning Show, and I'm a just lot. saying, like, no hard feelings this weekend, okay? None. Anna Mitchell's hedging her bets. Yeah. It's a big I game know. this weekend. I cannot wait to watch it tomorrow. It'll be interesting. Ohio State, Notre Dame. Anyway. Today, Friday, September the 22nd. Matt, you have this next interview, I think. I Actually, do. I, I should toss this over to in you. The immortal words I was of James just about Brown. to take it. Can I count it off? Do it. It's eight minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Philip Michael Tangora. He's a pastor and a canon lawyer joining us from New Jersey. What we kind of wanted to do today is look back uh, to the readings we had on Sunday. Um, actually, there were a couple of readings, but it really was driven home in the gospel about the power and, and necessity of forgiveness. Um, I wonder what you focused on in your homily. Uh, this past week, I focused mostly on the fact that when we are talking about forgiveness, forgiveness provides, mercy provides an opportunity. So I was talking about a, a football player who, a uh, professional football player who actually started at uh, one of our Catholic high schools in the diocese. And he was in a way that was not very uh, good. He was kind of falling into the wrong group of friends and whatnot. And his grandmother actually uh, went out, parked herself on the bishop's driveway at that time and refused to allow the bishop to get into his own driveway to his home until she, uh, he would agree to make sure that her grandson was going to be in uh, one of the Catholic high schools in the diocese so that he would be set on the right path and his errant ways would be made wrong, uh, made, made correct. And honestly, that provides uh, this notion of forgiveness and this notion of uh, healing. And if we don't provide and have the disposition of mercy offered to someone, uh, you know, then they won't ever be able to experience the transformative love of God. Well, that uh, that sounds like the parable of the impertinent widow, right? Who just like uh, you know bugs the judge until <laughs> until she gets what she's yeah. uh, she's asking for. Uh, but you know this this concept of mercy and um, how it how it plays out practically speaking. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who know what they're doing is wrong, um, but don't know that there's mercy for them. I think that sometimes we do a really good job of, of teaching what you should and should not do and don't go, do a good enough job of saying, but if you've done what you shouldn't do, please come to us, <laughs> right? Because yeah. this is where the mercy is. Exactly. It's not just fraternal correction. It's fraternal correction with an invitation to be restored, with that invitation to be renewed and, and forgiven and so, you know, that's always one of those things. When we talk about the works of mercy, the corporal works of mercy, one of them is to uh, correct an errant uh, brother or sister in Christ, but to always make sure that as we do such, that we're in bringing them to receive uh, the mercy of God, to let them know that God loves them. God wants them to be happy, to be filled with His grace and His power to uh, be restored in God. 
And if we do not have that opportunity, if we're not providing them, then we're only providing them half of the message. Well, I think that this kind of, I mean, you mentioned the works of mercy. Uh, you've got two in there that I think we really like, uh, which are instructing the ignorant and admonishing the sinner. Right? I think we, uh, we all yeah. kind of like those two works of mercy. We're not as big on the forgive injuries willingly and bearing wrongs patiently, which are both also <laughs> the spiritual works of mercy. Absolutely. And so when we look at the gospel, when we look at how uh, it's meant to be realized in our life, we, we have to remember, just like, you know, uh, there's a notion of cafeteria Catholicism where you pick and choose, we cannot pick and choose which corporal and spiritual works of mercy we want to fulfill. We're called to fulfill them all. And that's the challenge. That's why it's always a challenge for all of us, and it's not something that is easily gotten about. Uh, that's why we're all dependent upon God's grace. We're all in need of reform. We're all in need of his mercy and forgiveness because we all fall short. And I think uh, sometimes where we want to uh, emphasize the instruction and the uh, correction, what winds up happening is uh, we, we can develop a sense of the fact that we're right and we're doing the right thing and we're failing to recognize that we are still sinners ourselves. We are still in need of that healing and of that mercy ourselves, and that's why it's so important for us to remain humble, to remain uh, aware of the fact that we should have a disposition of contrition and seeking God's mercy, seeking uh, being dependent upon Him. We have never arrived in this life at that place of goodness and holiness. Well, and that's why uh, that question that sometimes we get from our evangelical brothers and sisters, you know, are you saved, doesn't make as much sense to a Catholic, because fundamentally we're told that we are, we have been saved in one way in baptism. We are being saved uh, through the sacramental life and our relationship with Christ through the course of our lives, and we hope to be saved if we stick to that, right? If we exactly, continue to be connected to that grace. God's gift of salvation is just that. It's a gift. It's a free offering. It's all about our disposition of constantly receiving it, constantly be opening, being open to receive that gift. Uh, and through sin, we close ourselves off from it. We say, nah, I'm not looking for your gift of salvation. I want this more uh, immediate sense of gratification. Uh, so I'm looking for fame, fortune, power, prestige, or pleasure, instead of seeking that eternal gift, which we have to hold out for, which we have to uh, sacrifice for, which we have to endure patiently, like you said, uh, different sufferings, different challenges and trials. And we need to also have the confidence in God that if we are still and know that He is God, He will fight for us, and so be patient. Do not uh, fe uh, lack trust in him. Just move forward. Sometimes it's, it's a slow progress moving forward, but just keep walking forward, following him, and, and trusting that if we do so, that's how we are responding in an act of faith to his gift of salvation to receive it. And we just need to keep walking forward 
and not act in any way like we need to interfere or make our own plans. Just follow his yeah. confidently. Well, thanks so much, Father Philip Michael Tangora. We've got headlines with Anna Mitchell coming up next at 16 minutes past the hour. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. Now there's a fast and easy way to get in touch with EWTN. The EWTN Everything Number. Call 1-800-447-EWTN to get the latest information on programming, special events, pilgrimages, and more. You can even make a donation. Our EWTN Family Viewer Services representatives are ready to help you with whatever your needs may be. The EWTN Everything Number. 1-800-447-EWTN. EWTN. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Pope Francis is preparing to leave later today for Marseille, France, for the Mediterranean meetings. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has called for peace in Ukraine during the open debate at the United Nations Security Council. And parts of the East Coast could be seeing a tropical storm warning this weekend. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Although, Anna Mitchell, I think the weather's going to hold. Actually, I haven't really checked it, but I'm praying the weather will hold because uh, after the show this morning, I'm heading over to one of my favorite places on planet Earth, as I've said many times before. And we had Rob Judge on the the show earlier this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm heading over to the Seton Shrine in Emmitsburg, Maryland, because today is the day they're dedicating their new visitor center and museum. Uh, so starting at 10 today. At 1.30 p.m., there's a celebratory mass with Archbishop Laurie, and then 3 p.m. is the official blessing and dedication, and they just got some cool stuff over there, Anna Mitchell. Have I ever brought you out no, to you visit Mother Seton? No, you have never taken me oh, to visit goodness. Mother Seton. Of course, I've only like visited you twice in Washington since you've been there. So You've yeah, come you gotta... to Cincinnati more often than I've gone to D.C., so I'll give you I a mean... pass. At one point, they had Mother Seton's copy of, I think it was Introduction to the Devout Life by Francis de Sales. Now, it was under so glass, cool. so you couldn't flip through and see which passages she underlined. But, like, they've got that kind of stuff. Wait, w- was it just, like, a closed 
like, did they just have the book closed? I think it was open to a specific page, and I wish I could remember off the top of the I'm just curious, like, did, was there underlining on it yeah, on there that was page? Like, there was, uh, there was did some she write some notes? Yeah, oh, my gosh. I can't read colonial handwriting. Okay, see, that's the kind of thing. You know what would be really interesting? There are um, – I, I there there's this – whole collection of books called ancient christian commentary there's also the catina aria like what um that thomas aquinas did where it's like commentary on each verse of the bible i would love to see commentary from the saints on introduction to the devout life that would be a blast i would love to see that book published line by line uh, mother seton's dad was a physician who dealt with pandemic stuff they had like his like influenza journal up there. They got wow. crazy stuff up there. That's anyway, cool. I'll put a link so you can check it out and live stream the mass if you want to. SunriseMorningShow.com. Click our Facebook page. If with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert. She does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. An act of love. Lord, teach me to love you as you deserve. Teach me to love you above all else. You created me to glorify you, and I glorify you by reflecting your image and likeness ever more fully. I glorify you not by my own might and striving apart from you, but by my humility, by my receptivity to your light and by my response to your love. I love you because you are entirely good. It is you who enkindle my soul, who stir my will into act by giving me your own spirit of love. I want nothing but you, no love but yours to reign in my heart. Be my supreme love, my very love, that I may live in you and you in me. Nothing but you, Lord. I want to be filled with you, to see you, to taste and to know and delight in you alone not for my pleasure, but for your glory, now and forever. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Chris Battis, co-founder and president of Solidarity HealthShare, online at solidarityhealthshare.org. Chris, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So the Catholic Medical Association recently issued a press release that uh, Solidarity put up on on your blog over at the website uh, calling for authentic Catholic health care and how it's more important than ever. What exactly is authentic Catholic health care? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's becoming a blurred line, isn't it, um, what, what it is anymore? And I think... It's important, you know, I believe um, 
a really great way to define it is to say what is life-affirming health care and what is life-denying health care. And I think of, of what, is, what Catholic health care is, is truly always and in every possible way life-affirming. It's always seeking to restore the body to order. It's always seeking to restore um, the person to wholeness, to, you know, to, to, to oneness with their, with their body, their spirit, right, all together. Um, certainly there are times when you have to uh, do surgery. There's times when you have to, you know, cut things out, all those things that happen. But, but truly life-affirming care is always seeking to, to use the body the way it was designed to be used. So a really good way to define that is when you think of fertility care that is not life-affirming, like IVF that totally distorts the woman's body and takes eggs and implants and does all these, these crazy things, outside of the body to then put it back in. That's not truly using and restoring the body to order versus life-affirming fertility care like NAPRO technology, which is actually working with the woman's hormones, doing surgeries that are needed to remove scar tissue or, or injury or things that are there that are causing the fertility system to not work properly, um, and then allowing the woman to naturally conceive uh, in, in right order. That's life-affirming care. Uh, and, and that's to me. Those are the those are the juxtaposition you could take to every area of medicine to say, is this Catholic healthcare? Is this life affirming healthcare? That is such a, a beautiful point because as Catholics, we love God and we love our neighbor. I mean, one of the foundational principles of Catholic social teaching is the dignity of the human person, and so. We're not looking to uh, to see somebody. I mean, we we look at all of the mandates that have been coming out with uh, quote unquote uh, transgender care, for instance, and we're not looking to affirm someone in their dysphoria. We are looking to affirm the person who is inherently good as God made them. Yeah, I think that that's a big part of the uh, around people wanting to promote these kind of surgeries and affirming that, or or seeking to to legitimize those feelings. What we need to do is actually help them see the true good and beauty of how God created them to be, to see their dignity and worth, to serve them with good and, and counseling and therapy and all of the things to help them restore like restore that understanding of who they are and deal with the very serious mental health crisis that they're in, right and in not further <laughs> the dysphoria, not further the, the, the disruption in their, in their spirit and who they are, um, but, but take them to a place of understanding their worth and their personhood, right? And, and that gets, that's where we blur the lines between, you know, mental health care and health care, but, but the reality is they go hand in hand. It's mind, body, spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in, in us, right? It's, it's who God designed us to be, and, and we have to help people with that. And as Catholics, it is so imperative that our Catholic healthcare systems and, and professionals, our, our physicians, that we uphold that in every aspect of, of the work, um, because we are really the last stand at this point of people who, who are willing to say, wait a minute, this isn't of God, this isn't, this isn't right order, this isn't going to ultimately bring you to true happiness um, or allow you to serve the ultimate vocation you have, which is ultimately to get to heaven, but, but there's a vocation before that, right? And, and so we have, to, we have to really hold that ground and, and use the incredible gift we have in Catholic teaching um, to serve these people who are in great need. 
Do you think medical professionals have a, a vocation, maybe a small V sense of a vocation than, than how we would normally uh, look at it in the church, but a vocation to serve people in this way in affirming their, their basic human dignity? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think, I mean, I think the call of a physician of itself is, a, if it, is its own, you know, mini vocation. It's, it's more than just a job or a career. I mean, if you think of like certain professions that become more than just, just that career, you don't leave this job at 5 p.m. when you leave, when you clock out, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it really is in, in, in that way. And I think as a, in an even more special sense, a deeper sense, a Catholic physician, a Catholic medical professional has a, a inherent calling because in addition to their their medical license and their training right they are also baptized right they are also given the the title of priest prophet and king in the in, in the in christianity right in our faith and so there's something deeper calling us to actually serve in that way um and it, i think it's why there's been such a great history of catholic health care in this country and and around the world over the years Absolutely. We've been talking to Chris Faddis. And Chris, if listeners are interested in checking out Solidarity Health Share to see if it's right for them and their family, how can they get more information? Yeah, visit us at SolidarityHealthShare.org, SolidarityHealthShare.org, or call us at 844-488-1820, 844-488-1820, and find out if our goal of helping you get life-affirming health care is right for you. And you can find Solidarity Health Share linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. That is also where you can find all of our guests linked and would encourage you to subscribe to our show notes. You can get all the information linked in an email message to you as we go on the air every single morning. sonrisemorningshow.com. You can also download our app there so you can listen live. And oh, we'll be on video starting Monday. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis leaves this afternoon for Marseille, France. His main purpose is to participate in the final session of the Mediterranean meetings, which is bringing together bishops and young people from North Africa, the Middle East, and Southern Europe. Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Perlin is calling this an opportunity to promote a spirit of cohesion among European nations, particularly on the issue of migration. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has urged U.N. member states to join efforts for peace in Ukraine. From Vatican Radio, Sister Nina Benedicta Kropich reports. The Archbishop noted that Ukraine is defending its sovereignty and the inviolability of its internationally recognized borders, which are the same values promoted at UN. However, he said, in the cruel and senseless war against Ukraine, we are witnessing that the highest price is paid by civilian children, young people, and the elderly. Archbishop Gallagher said that the great evil of war is expanding beyond the Ukrainian borders, not only covering with this thick shadow Europe, but also other continents. War, he added, is infiltrating human hearts, making them containers of a logic of war. 
recalling Pope Francis's words that the world is living through a third world war fought piecemeal. If this war is not stopped and peace is not sought at every turn, the whole world risks plunging into even deeper crisis, said Archbishop Gallagher. He stated that the solution not only regards Ukraine, but the entire international community, highlighting that the time has come to ask ourselves some of Pope Francis's questions. What am I doing today for the Ukrainian people? Am I doing something? He urged all UN member states, and especially those of the Security Council, to join efforts in the search for just and lasting peace for Ukraine. Archbishop Gallagher expressed that the Holy See is close to Ukraine, fully upholds its territorial integrity, and continues to engage in humanitarian initiatives while urging all parties to be courageous artisans of peace. I'm Sister Nina Benedicta Krapic. On Capitol Hill, Republican lawmakers have pressed Attorney General Merrick Garland over the FBI's handling of investigations into Catholic and pro-life groups. During a congressional hearing this week, New Jersey Republican Jefferson Van Drew listed a series of incidents of anti-Catholic bias within the FBI and asked Garland whether he believed Traditional Catholics are violent extremists. I think that are they extremists or not, Attorney General? Everything in that memo is are they extremists or not? I'm asking a simple question. Say no if you think that was wrong. Catholics are not extremists. No. Garland, who is Jewish, said, "Quote: I have no idea what traditional means here." Going on to say, the idea that someone with my family background would discriminate against any religious is so outrageous, so absurd. End quote. According to a new study from Morning Consult, 53% of Generation Z believe they can make a lot of money as a social media influencer. Trey Thomas has more. Morning Consult branding analyst Ellen Briggs says the idea of striking it rich as an influencer is not all that far-fetched. In general, people are keeping their day jobs and posting online as a side gig to make extra cash here and there. She points out that people with a lot of followers can cash in on product placement, endorsements, and affiliate programs. I'm Trey Thomas. United Auto Workers' strike against the big three U.S. automakers is now reaching the one-week mark. Today is also the deadline set by UAW President Sean Fain that will see more workers heading to the picket lines if there is no progress made. Nearly 13,000 auto workers remain on strike at three plants in Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri. Auto workers are demanding better pay and pension benefits. And tropical storm warnings are being issued along parts of the East Coast as a system that could soon be named Ophelia forms over the Atlantic. The low-pressure system is currently called Potential Tropical Cyclone 16 and has winds of about 40 miles per hour. The National Hurricane Center has issued storm warnings from North Carolina to Maryland, and a storm surge watch has also been issued for parts of the coast. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past. The You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. 
Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. Do not get upset about the dryness and coldness you are suffering. Be consoled in the depths of your heart, remembering the words of our Lord. How blessed are the poor in spirit! Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for holiness! How happy you should be to serve God in the desert! without manna and without water, consoled only by the fact that he is guiding you and you are suffering for him. If unjustly accused, bear witness to the truth quietly and calmly. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Mike Aquilina from FathersOfTheChurch.com. You can find his Way of the Fathers podcast at CatholicCulture.org. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. You know, we've been talking lately about various cities that were extremely important in the early church, and today we get to talk to uh, talk about Antioch. And actually, Antioch is an important city in the New Testament. But before we get to that. Uh, what kind of city was Antioch before Christianity arrived there? It was a very important city. It was a military center, commercial center. It was uh, it was a religious center. It was an important center of Judaism. Uh, it had been established as a city on the Orontes River by by the general Seleucus, who was one of the the great generals under under Alexander the Great uh, when he was conquering the world. And so uh, this is. This is uh, the seat of, of the little empire that Seleucus ended up with. It, it, was, uh, it was important for every reason. It was a, a cultural center, and it was a military center, economic center, as I said. And, um, and, and, uh, and there were many Jews there. Uh, the, the, the people of Judea, the Jews of Judea, um, were, uh, were helpful to Seleucus in establishing the city. And so he gave them a favored status in the city. So the Jewish culture there was um, was was very well established by the time of our Lord, uh, and um, and it was uh, it was it was uh, it was it was thriving. There were several synagogues by that time, and some of them were beautiful. Some of them were were uh, architectural marvels. It said, and um, and uh, King Herod, of course, uh, built a good portion of the uh, of the city, and he. Uh, he established something there. Uh, it, it was a boulevard, uh, which, with uh, that was a, that was a shopping mall, really, an outdoor shopping mall, and it and it was uh, it was a very long street, and it was lined with street lamps, and this was the first time in antiquity that these 
uh, were, were put into use, street lamps. And so it really did transform the city and it, and, um, and it transformed the empire because soon any serious city needed to have one of these boulevards lined with street lamps. And suddenly there was nightlife in the cities. So one of the great inventions of Antioch was nightlife. You could go out at night, be, be uh, relatively safe, and, uh, and you could even do some shopping. Pretty interesting. And, uh, of course, even the Chicago Cubs have nightlights at this point. So uh, <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit. I mean, anybody who pays attention to the first readings from Mass during the Easter season already knows the answer to this question. But how early does Christianity get to Antioch? Well, right away, really, and, and that's a natural thing. There would have been a lot of trade between Antioch and Jerusalem. This this is something that would have happened naturally because of the um, because of the the short distance between the two, and also because of the uh, the cultural affinity. You know, again, there was a large Jewish community there, uh, and and so this would have this would have been a regular thing to 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 have traffic moving in that direction, and then back to Jerusalem. Uh, we find in the Acts of the Apostles that. Uh, that when when uh, you know the boot comes down, when the persecution begins, uh, some of some of the the people following the way of Jesus fled to Antioch, right? And they uh, they they brought the faith there, and they 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 spread the faith there, uh, so much so that that the people of Antioch needed a name for this group, who uh, who were growing out of the synagogue, but were quite distinctive from uh, from the other Jews in the city. And so it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christian. Uh, this isn't too long after the ascension of our Lord, and it was Antioch, the city, that bestowed that name that we still bear today after all these millennia. Yeah, it is a powerful thing. You know, you almost get chills when you hear it uh, read from the book of Acts. The, the followers of Jesus were first called Christians at Antioch. You know, it's like, ah, wow. It's like an origin mm -hmm. story. Yeah. It's like the first time you hear Tony Stark referred to as Iron Man or something. It's like this really kind of stirring thing. It's like, wow, uh, you know, this is us. This is our origin story, as it were. Yes. Um, but when it comes to Antioch, I mean, we've got some great saints. Uh, Ignatius of Antioch immediately comes to mind, and we've talked oh, about him yeah. a number of times before. But Antioch is one of those places, as early as Christianity got there, it sure did change hands between a lot of empires and became a battleground for a lot of things in history from that point forward, didn't it? Yeah, Antioch was a hotbed for Christian thought because it was a hotbed for thought, you know, and uh, and this is this is what happened naturally. Uh, the, the, there was a certain vigor to Christianity from the beginning, so you find great great intellectual figures like Ignatius of Antioch, who's, a, who's just a wonderful writer. We possess seven of his letters that give us you know, a kind of a window into what life looked like in the city of Antioch and in all the cities of the empire around the year 107 AD. Uh, and after him, we have Theophilus. So we have a, an apologist in all of the stages of Christian development. We have major Antiochian writers. Uh, eventually, uh, there are heresies that arise in Antioch, and because of the position of Antioch on the world scene, they become influential heresies, unfortunately. Uh, but but some of them had their their really epicenter. They had their epicenter there. Um, so you have. Uh, you, you have teachers in Antioch in the third century uh, coming up with this idea that Jesus was just a creature, 
that he was uh, subordinate to the Father in every way, uh, that he was not co-equal or co-eternal with the Father. And so, so these ideas eventually reach uh, a student named uh, Arius, who, who came possibly from Libya to Antioch to do his studies. And it, Arius brought those ideas back to Alexandria, where the Arian heresy took hold and eventually spread throughout the empire. But the ideas began in Antioch. It was Arius who found ways to make them catchy and to bring them to the whole empire. Uh, uh, you know, there's great fi there are so many great figures uh, who, um, who, who were there in Antioch. You know, and John Chrysostom comes immediately to mind, perhaps the, the greatest preacher of all time, of all Christian history. And he first thundered from those pulpits in Antioch. And then the great anti-Christian, Julian, the apostate, who left behind Christianity to to uh, to try to repaganize the empire when he became emperor. He made Antioch the base of his operations, but because of the vigor of the local uh, church, he was unable to do it. You know, they openly mocked him when he spoke. So Antioch has this storied history, you know, when you think about the fathers of the church. So many great events, so many, so many mighty figures, and, uh, and so much drama. Well, thanks so much, Mike Aquilina, for giving us a window into that drama. Definitely uh, check out Mike's Way of the Fathers podcast, especially if you got some driving to do this weekend. It's some great stuff. We're back right after this with a preview of the Sunday Mass readings. It is 16 minutes before the hour. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marianne Koharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. You know, I have never seen women who want to be equal absolutely degrading themselves. And yet the media degrades your nature, your beauty as a woman, your, your goodness. Let us pray. At some point, our dear Lord touches their hearts. For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. This is Dr. David Anders. Are your friends or family discouraging you from becoming Catholic? We can help on Call to Communion this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 
13 till. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis is preparing to leave for Marseille, France to participate in the final session of the Mediterranean meetings. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has urged UN member states to join efforts for peace in Ukraine. And the United Auto Workers strike against the big three U.S. automakers has reached the one-week mark. Next newscast coming up in about 15-ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 13 till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. It's a blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And we are looking ahead to the readings for Sunday, the 25th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Seem to be continuing on this theme of uh, mercy. Let's look at the reading, the first reading from the prophet Isaiah. This is chapter 55, and it starts out like this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call him while he is near. And my question to you, Father, is what does that mean to seek him while he may be found? Like, is he going to go hide? Yeah, isn't the Lord everywhere? Isn't the Lord ever present and filling all things, as we say in the in the Byzantine liturgy? And yet, you're right. So Isaiah says, seek him while he can be found. What does he mean? Well, St. Jerome tells us, he says, this is what St. Jerome says, seek him while he can be found while you are in the body, and as long as an opportunity for penitence is provided. And this is an important key, because Isaiah is prophesying a time when Israel is in exile. Now, Isaiah kind of predates this, but he's looking forward, because he knows Jerusalem is going to, going to fall. He knows that people are going to be taken into exile. It, all, it appears that all is lost. How does, how does a Jew draw close to the Lord if he can't draw close to Jerusalem? And this is a fundamental problem that people at that time are facing. And Isaiah gives the answer to them and to us, and that is, the Lord is ever-present and filling all things, yes, but he is not a dictator and an imposer. He will, he will be there with you and for you and close to you at your side always, if you allow him to be so. So Isaiah is calling the people to repentance. He's calling the people to a, the right way of life so that the Lord might be present in their life. And love is always exercised in an atmosphere of freedom. Do you want the Lord to act in your life, Israel, while you are in Babylon? Do you want the Lord to act in your life, Mary, Frank, Fred, Joe, Father Hezekiah, Annie? Yeah, then open your life to the possibility of him acting in your life. In other words, Isaiah says, do something. Don't expect the Lord to do everything for you. He wants a relationship with you, and therefore you must, have, you must make fundamental decisions about how you're going to live your life, either with the Lord or apart from him, keeping him at arm's distance. Yeah, and I mean, the Lord is standing there waiting for the scoundrel to forsake his way, the wicked, his thoughts. It says, let him turn to the Lord for mercy, to our God, who is generous and forgiving. And it goes on to say, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. And when we get into the Psalm, Psalm 145, uh, one of the verses is, the Lord is just in all his ways and holy in all his works. And that leads me to ask you about the gospel for this weekend, because it's kind of an interesting 
parable that Jesus tells about the workers in the vineyard. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out at dawn to hire laborers for his vineyard. Very famous parable. You know, they have the ones that that come at daybreak and then, you know, a couple of hours later and a couple of hours later after that. And then you have the people that get hired at the end of the day, work for like an hour but still get the same wage as those who started at daybreak. And the question that they ask at now, the end. That doesn't end, seem just, does it? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem. just, does it? <laughs> exactly. That's where I wanted to take this. I mean, can you talk about how the Lord addresses this parable? Well, yes. What we need to know is what has transpired here in the gospel. Jesus has now made his way from Mount Tabor, from the Transfiguration. He's made his way down the Jordan Valley, and he's now heading toward Jerusalem. He's now kind of at the doorstep of the Passion. Yeah, And there's people all around him, and some of those people are drawing close to him, and others are not. And the apostles are there. They're, they're saying, Lord, we've left everything. We've been with you from the very beginning. And yet you're going to allow them to come now join us. Can we really trust them? Mm-hmm. He's, the Lord is giving them a, a, a very clear instruction about what the kingdom of God is going to look like and what the apostles are going to need to do heading up to Jerusalem. But there's a second layer to this, of course, and that is that, that this gospel is being written not at the time of, of, the, of the Passion, right? It's being written in the years following in which the early Christian community is dealing with a new reality, and that is, it's not just for the Jews. Yeah. The early Christians were all Jews. It's not just for the Jews. The Gentiles are now coming in. And are, are they going to have a full inheritance with, with us? We've been laboring since the very beginning. Of course, the fathers of the Church read this in a whole other level in which they say, look, the, the people that were called at the very beginning and were paid a fair wage are the old te- is the Old Testament Church, right? But, but then now we have come, are we allowed to enter into this kingdom or, or, or not? And, and then, of course, we can apply this to, to today, in which in our, in our communities, in our churches, we who have been there working, running the food distribution or the ladies' guild or the flower arranging and things like that, are we open to allowing new members of God's family to join in to the blessings we have received? So there's multiple layers in which we can apply this gospel. Yeah, and Father, those who haven't tuned into our Sunday Gospel Reflections over at the Institute of Catholic Culture, first of all, shame on you, start joining us. But can you talk about, you read part of the Pascha homily of St. John Chrysostom, which uh, alludes to this parable. And I, I don't know if you have that text in front of you right now, but could you just talk about how we should all be rejoicing for even those who come mm. and join the, the laborers yeah. at that last hour. This is probably the most famous homily in the history of Christianity. He uses this passage for his Paschal homily, for his resurrection homily. And he says, everyone is invited to the banquet. Everyone is welcome to it. Whether you were called at the 10th hour or the 6th hour and so forth, he says, whether you've kept the fast or not kept the fast, whether you've lived a life uh, worthy of the Lord or not, Regardless, the Lord is to hear. He's, he's drawn near to you. If you will simply take one step toward him, I'm reminded of the prodigal son, as soon as he turns his face towards his father's home, he says, the father comes running after him. This is our Lord. He comes after us, seeking us always. If we would only be found, may we turn Isaiah around 
if we would only allow him to find us in our life and open our hearts to his transforming love, this is what we, we, we dive deeply into every week at the Institute of Catholic Culture. Annie Mitchell and I doing a, a, a deep one-hour study of these texts in preparation for Sunday, uh, the Sunday lectionary cycle. And all of you are invited, whether you came at the 10th hour or you're just finding out about it now. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. Come check us out. Everything is offered free of charge, just as the Lord gave us the gift of life free of charge. You can find the Institute of Catholic Culture linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Annie. You bet. And um, the Institute of Catholic Culture just released their next quarter of events. It will kick off in a couple of weeks with Father Robert Spitzer on Eucharistic miracles of the 21st century. I mean, talk about that intense. Sounds like uh, sounds like a good time there. Yeah, but I've been, you know, I've been doing stuff with the Institute of Catholic Culture for some time now, and um, it's kind of preparing me for what we are going to be inaugurating next week, Matt, being on video on the Sunrise Morning Show. The difference is this is really early in the morning. <laughs> I am uh, not sure what to do with the fact that, you know— very intentionally, Anna Mitchell, when I got into broadcasting, I was like, I think I want to do radio. And everybody's like, yeah, I don't know, man. Radio's not even going to be a thing by, like, 2002. I'm like, I think it will be. Here we are. I want to do radio. I don't want anything to do with television. And now they're putting us on camera, Anna Mitchell. It's fine. That's you're, be you're looking great, Matt. You're looking great. You know that face for radio thing? No. It's I not take, true of Matt Swaim. I, I, took, a, I took it serious. Another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up. It's 3 till. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The Sunrise Morning Show. We continue on this Friday, the 22nd of September, by praying together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy on us. When we foolishly squander the heritage of grace that is ours in Christ, Lord, have mercy. When we wander away from our true home in you to seek illusory pleasures that leave us lonely and hungry of heart, Lord, have mercy on us. When we recognize our sin but fear to turn to you, Lord, have mercy on us. O God of mercy and love, hear us in our sin and grant us your forgiveness through Christ our Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. It is a better way to start a Friday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Enough this hour. Father Mike Schmitz will be along. So uh, he's doing the Sunrise Morning Show in a Year podcast. Actually, he's not. But uh, he's been going through some of the things he's been addressing in some of his other podcasts. And uh, he was kind enough to give us a little time to... Dig into some of those on the Sunrise Morning Show. Dr. Ingrid Skop is going to be along from the Charlotte Lozier Institute. There is a lot of misinformation 
about uh, issue one in Ohio and what it would mean. Uh, would it criminalize miscarriages? There's there's just a lot of confusion, and she is going to clear some of that up. We'll talk to Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. Also preview the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan. So please do stay with us if you are able. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis leaves this afternoon for Marseille, France to participate in the final session of the Mediterranean meetings. Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Parolin is calling this an opportunity to promote a spirit of cohesion among European nations, particularly on the issue of migration. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The Pope is traveling to the southern French city to take part in the closing event of the Mediterranean meetings, which is bringing together bishops and young people to seek paths toward peace and solutions to the migration crisis. Cardinal Parolin said the Pope accepted the invitation to attend the meetings since it offers a valuable opportunity for sharing and building the common good. He said the Holy Father wants to bear witness in Marseille to a spirit of cohesion and concreteness as nations debate the issue of people's lives being lost at sea. Europe, he said, needs to move beyond a nearsighted focus on emergency response and aim toward far-sighted vision. Cardinal Parolin said the world struggles to recognize the faces of people in need, preferring to turn them into numbers rather than faces. When we think about the drama of migrants, he said, we need to start from the priority of human dignity over any other legitimate consideration. The Cardinal acknowledged that there is no easy solution, but that the migration issue needs to be tackled through unified actions. He added that everyone should enjoy both the right to migrate and the right to stay, meaning that violence needs to be addressed at its root. No good deed is useless. No gesture of love and charity is wasted, said Cardinal Parolin. Christ is present in our attempts to love and care for the least among us. In conclusion, the Cardinal recalled that as Pope Francis travels to Marseille to highlight the issue of migration, the world is not starting from scratch. Christians and civil leaders across the Mediterranean, said Cardinal Parolin, need to work together and build collaboration and goodwill. I'm Devin Watkins. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has called for peace in Ukraine during the open debate at the United Nations Security Council this week. Archbishop Paul Gallagher said the international community cannot surrender and let this issue pass by in silence. He said, quote, in order to have a peaceful and secure future, all member states of the United Nations and especially those of the Security Council are called upon to join efforts in the search for a just and lasting peace for Ukraine as an important element of the global peace of which the world thirsts. It is better and cheaper, he said, for all to invest in peace instead of war, end quote. Russia is a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council. Meanwhile, President Biden is reaffirming U.S. support for Ukraine. Biden hosted Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in the Oval Office yesterday, where he announced the U.S. will be providing Ukraine with an additional $325 million in military aid in the fight against Russia. Biden told reporters no nation can be truly secure in the world if the U.S. and its allies don't stand up and defend Ukraine from Russian aggression. Automakers are laying off more workers as contract talks between the UAW and the big three automakers roll on. The UAW strike kicked off a week ago, prompting Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis 
to send workers home at affected plants. Around 1,300 workers so far are on strike in the first stage of walkouts, while the president of the UAW, Sean Fain, warns more workers will hit the picket lines if a deal is not reached today. Parts of the East Coast will be seeing a tropical storm warning this weekend. Mark Mayfield has more. The National Hurricane Center issued the warning from just below Wilmington, North Carolina, up to the Maryland-Delaware state line. It's calling the low-pressure area potential tropical cyclone 16. And depending on when it's officially named, it could either be Ophelia or Philippe. A storm surge watch was also issued for parts of the coastline. I'm Mark Mayfield. And the University of Minnesota is introducing a new kind of apple to the world. It has a crisp, juicy texture, sort of like a honey crisp, but with tropical overtones. The apple breeding program at the U of M has been around for more than a century. This is their 29th variety of apple, MN33, and it will be available to consumers under the brand name Kudos in the next few years. The program's most famous apple, the Honeycrisp, was developed in 1960. And knowing that, I have great hopes for this Honeycrisp-ish apple with tropical overtones. I I'm love very confused crisp. about this. I've been having all my internet things talking about like Apple News today, like a yes. new release and stuff. And I was like, is that what this is all about? Oh, well, now I'm kind of relieved. Yeah. I thought they were releasing some ungodly new tech upon the world or something. Well, that might be true too. But Oh, no, the iPhone 15 came out today. Yeah. iPhone 15, I think, is that the one that has the regular USB-C? That's the one that monitors the movements of your soul. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what it does. <laughs> Today is Friday, September the 22nd. Happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 8 past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Mike Schmitz. He's host of the Catechism in a Year podcast from Ascension Press. Father, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. It is good to have you. And we're continuing to unpack the early sections of part three of the catechism together. And uh, uh, section one focuses on the dignity of the human person. Now, Father, we talk a lot as Catholics about the dignity of the human person from conception to natural death. And we don't say Christian human dignity. We say human dignity. Why do we believe that? That's, it, that's such a great question. And also the fact that you, you're pointing out the fact that the, on this section of life in Christ, the how we live, morality, has as its very starting point, the launching point the Catechism talks about is human nature, as human dignity, as the basis for morality. And, and, and that means that our dignity doesn't come from any source other than God directly, meaning it uh, doesn't even... It doesn't, it's not given to us, it's not imputed to us by our government, by our culture, by our tribe, by our family, by being wanted or not. It is because every human being, regardless of whether Catholic or, or Christian or not anything, every human being is made in God's image. Because of that, every human being has a unique dignity that no other create, creature in the universe has. Mm. 
So that said, though, how does our baptism as Christians take this dignity to a new level? Yeah. So as, as, as we know, we were made good. We're made good. And so, you know, go back to all the way to Genesis 1 and 2, where God creates the whole universe. And, you know, in Genesis 1, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. He gets the human beings. It's very good. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Genesis chapter 3 happens. And, <laughs> and here are these, here's this creation. Here are these creatures that are good. And now we're good but broken. We're good but fallen. And so we recognize that immediately, though, in Genesis chapter 3, after we've fallen, God ultimately, immediately, I mean, promises that this isn't the end. It's not going to end this way, that there will be a, the offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Um, and in Jesus, when God comes to meet us with his grace by the Holy Spirit, what happens is us, just ordinary human beings who have created God's image but have been, have been broken, we, some remarkable, through baptism and faith, we are adopted. We're, we're actually made into a new creation. We're adopted as God's beloved sons and daughters. Now, all human beings on the, on the earth, every human being who's ever lived is God's beloved creature. But in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit and faith and baptism, we're, we're more than that. We're, we're what St. Paul says, a new creation. And that new creation is that God the Father has actually adopted us as his sons and daughters. I mean, we become Christ himself. Do we not? We are yeah. brought into his body. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so we are called to live that way, right? Yeah. So the goal of the Christian life, you know, Christian morality is, as we said before, is not simply, you know, being a good kid. The goal <laughs> of Christian morality is being Jesus in the world, uh, being a reflection, an image of Christ to this world. And that's um, incredible. No pressure. It's almost, yeah. almost unfathomable. <laughs> no pressure. It's un- <laughs> unfathomable. And actually, the, the church state teaches that is a call that is impossible without grace. Yeah, and yeah. So, so we need God's help every step along the way. Yeah, I mean, I did want to take kind of a wider view to to close out our conversation here, Father. So this good part of of part three, a good chunk of part three, focuses on the commandments, the rules, as as we were talking mm-hmm. about. What does human dignity have to do with following the rules and? Does this apply to everyone, regardless of, of what religion they follow or don't follow? That's a great question. What does human dignity have to do with this? Well, the, the beautiful thing is, you know, um, we recognize this is what the, what the, one of the things the Church is, is saying in recognizing that human dignity is the basis for morality, is, this, is that morality is not invented. Mm. That it's, it's not a matter of just like, okay, like, like you invent baseball. At some point, baseball didn't exist, and some people just said, hey, how about this game where we do this, and these are the rules? And then and God so, said, there, let there be light, and baseball existed. Yeah. No, okay, sorry, right. go on, Father. Exactly, no, no, good. <laughs> and so in that, those rules are made up, and they, they help people. They help them play the game, but the game is made up. And so sometimes there is, there is one perspective of reality that is, yeah, morality is just made up. It just happens to be the social mores or social mores that we kind of fall into. But if we were if we were living in a different culture, a different time, we would follow their their mores and their mores because they've invented them over there. But Catholic morality says, no, if human beings are actually a good, if we're made in God's image and likeness, which means we have an intellect and a will, it means we have freedom. I mean this is the if we have freedom, then there is a certain way that we, we carry uh, not only a response to, we not only carry the ability to make decisions, we carry the responsibility to make decisions. 
And so because human beings have dignity, then all of my actions have to be guided by that discovered reality, right? So it's not invented reality, it's the discovered reality. So, okay, if I'm going to make a decision, it's not based off of, is this my preference or is this useful for me? It's, is this good? And that's the thing. It's like, if you take God out of the equation, then all decisions, all decisions, you might call them of morality, that's just simply uh, preference or utility. Is this what you like or is this what you think works? But when it comes to Catholic morality, we say, okay, if human beings have dignity, that means they have a, a worth independent of anyone else, then I have to treat them in that way. And if I do anything to violate that dignity, then even if it's useful, it's still wrong. Even if it's something I prefer, then it's still wrong. If you want to get more from Father Mike Schmitz, go subscribe to his Catechism in a Year podcast through Ascension Press. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We'll leave it there for now, Father, but look forward to talking about the Beatitudes with you next time. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Annie. Sounds good. All right. Let's take a look at weather across the nation now. The Northeast and Mid-Atlantic will be ending the work week with mostly dry weather. However, more clouds will be present, thanks in part to that tropical storm system organizing off the coastline of the Carolinas, which will likely bring some showers to the areas along the southeast coastline from Virginia down to Florida. Dry weather continues for most of the Ohio Valley and the Deep South, mainly areas east of the Mississippi River. Scattered showers then will continue to soak a large chunk of the central U.S., including the Great Lakes, western Mississippi Valley, Gulf Coast, and most of the plains from North Dakota down to eastern Texas. The storm system that's helping to dump rain across the northern plains will likely bring buckets of rain to the northern Rockies. Flash flooding is possible. Great Basin is also likely to see some scattered showers today, but the remainder of the western U.S. should remain dry on Friday. We got headlines coming up next. It's 16 past here on the Sunrise Morning Show. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. This is Bernadette Boguski, Executive Director of WCCR Cleveland, AM 1260 The Rock. Why do we need Catholic Radio? 
to reach the hearts, minds, and souls of those who are searching for deeper meaning and don't know where to turn, to bring clarity to a world full of lies and confusion, and to share the good news of joy and mercy with a world so desperate for the truth. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. Is it just me, or is the promo with Bernadette from The Rock in Cleveland always air heading into a football weekend? That's an interesting. Do you notice this too? Interesting point. It's like uh, it's like Browns country has figured out a way to taunt us Bengals fans. We're just messing around. You know that. That's like, all, you are always so antagonistic toward Bernadette. She is a wonderful, Bernadette wonderful is like, supporter. Literally, of like the one Sunrise of the nicest Morning affiliate show. people in the whole. And the whole wide world. She's like one of those. Actually, the person I really rib is Adam Wright over at Covenant Radio, mm-hmm. which is St. Louis Cardinals country. But I'm tying up you your time come for up, headlines. You got to come up with somebody else to rib. Somebody else to, you know? to give a hard time I mean, to. Bernadette is like one of the few who actually. I'll tell you like what Adam said to me nice after to headlines, say. by the way. Okay. I'll tell you what Adam said to me the other day. Oh, I can't wait. Go ahead. Headlines. Pope Francis is soon to be leaving for Marseille, France, to participate in the final session of the Mediterranean meetings. President Biden is reaffirming U.S. support for Ukraine after having met with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. And the Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has called for peace in Ukraine during the open debate at the U.N. Security Council. Browns have the Titans this week, by the way. Good luck. Good luck. All right, so uh, I got a, uh, <laughs> I got a note, and I haven't had a chance to respond to it because I've been traveling. But Adam Wright, who uh, is a host on the Covenant Radio Roadmap to Heaven program, that's the morning show that you hear on Covenant Network after the Sunrise Morning Show. Adam in Cardinals Country writes this to me, and eventually says, "It sadly seems your beloved Reds will finish above my Cardinals in the standings this year." Much to my chagrin. That said, our two teams have. Uh, are currently tied at five games apiece against one another, and we have three games left. We're actually going to finish up the season, I believe, against the Cardinals here in these last few days. He says this, Anna Mitchell, I'm not sure what sort of small, friendly wager we could make, but I thought I'd reach out and gauge your interest. What? Do we want to in meaningless games just for the sake of pride? Challenge Adam from Covenant Network to some kind of Reds-Cardinals friendly. Like, what should we... I don't know what I want from St. Louis. I'll, I'll get. I'll send him a, a can of Skyline Wait, chili. He Reds, sends me a whole thing of ribs. The Reds aren't officially out of the wild card race. No, are we're we? not. So this it's is not very meaningless, meaningful to us. to us. It's meaningless to the Cardinals unless they want to play spoiler. All right, I'll send him a can of Skyline chili. Okay, what do we want from him? And oyster crackers. I'll send him a three-way kit. Um, I want what's good in. I've never been to St. Louis. What's good? Send in us the arch. It's twenty-one past. Cool time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Oh, sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. O sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. Whatever may befall me, Lord, though dark the hour may be, in all my woes, in all my joys, though naught but grief I see, O sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. When those I loved have passed away, and I am sore distressed, O sacred heart of Jesus, I fly to thee for rest. In all my trials, great or small, my confidence shall be, unshaken as I cry, dear Lord, I place my trust in Thee. This is my one sweet prayer, dear Lord, my faith, my trust, my love. But most of all, in that last hour, when death points up above, O sweet Savior, may Thy face smile on my soul all free. Oh, may I cry with rapturous love, I place my trust in Thee. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Ingrid Scott. She's a board-certified OBGYN who's been practicing in Texas for 30 years and is vice president and director of medical affairs for the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Dr. Scott, good morning. Good morning. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. So here in Ohio, Dr. Scott, there's a proposed constitutional amendment that will be on the ballot in November known as Issue 1. And I want to read to you the first part of it. It says every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to decisions on contraception, fertility treatment, continuing one's own pregnancy, miscarriage care, and abortion. And I want to talk to you about the inclusion of the language here on miscarriage care. If this amendment were to fail... Would it become illegal for a doctor to treat a woman undergoing a miscarriage? Of course not. Um, The current law uh, specifically allows treatment of an unborn human that has passed away, and that is the definition of miscarriage. So it is currently allowed, and of course it will continue to be allowed. This law merely wants to protect, or the current law merely wants to protect unborn living humans. Now, you practice in a state where abortion is almost completely banned. Have there been any issues with miscarriage care in Texas? There should be no issues because our law also specifically excludes miscarriage care. Um, The only time that appropriate care is not given is when doctors don't read the law and don't understand what they're allowed to do. I wanted to ask you about that because I've heard some claim that even if the law does exclude miscarriage care, doctors might be scared of litigation and not treat a woman who is undergoing a miscarriage. So would you say, I mean, is that like negligence on the part of the doctor? It's not appropriate medical care to refuse to provide care to a woman who needs it. Um, Every law, Texas and Ohio, as well as every other law 
um, that limits abortion in our country allows a doctor to perform an intervention if it is needed to protect the life or to prevent serious injury to a woman. So doctors can do what they have always done. They can provide a service to a woman if it is needed. It's important, I think, to recognize that approximately 90% of obstetricians do not perform elective abortion. So our practice has not changed at all for almost every doctor in Texas and in Ohio. Now, how does a hospital treat a woman who's experiencing a miscarriage? Well, there's various ways that miscarriages can be cared for. Um, sometimes they, the, the pregnancy tissue will pass spontaneously, so it does not necessarily always need um, an intervention. Um, it can be treated with a, surge, a minor surgery called a suction aspiration that removes the tissue. It can also be treated, um, if appropriate, medically by giving a medication such as mesoprostol that induces contractions to expel the tissue. And does that create any confusion? Isn't that part of the abortion pill regimen? I mean, what if a woman um, coming into a hospital was was miscarrying because she actually took the abortion pill? Would a doctor somehow be held liable for treating her if she's experiencing complications with it? No, of course not. Again, this law allows a doctor to give appropriate medical care to a woman in an emergency. What it does not, not allow is an elective abortion after the unborn human has a beating heart. That is an entirely different situation. That's an elective abortion. It is not medically necessary ever to perform an elective abortion. So doctors under the current law are allowed to practice medicine as they have always practiced medicine. But unfortunately, the abortion industry, because it's very, very hard to justify ending a human life for social and financial reasons, which is more than 95% of abortions in our country, what they've done is they've tried to frighten the American public about these laws. They've tried to frighten pregnant women, and they've tried to frighten doctors. In some cases, they succeeded, but this is unnecessary. Simply reading the law will explain that it does have an exception for all of these necessary medical interventions. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that, Dr. Scott. I mean, if if it is the case that that miscarriage care is excluded from from any kind of uh, restrictions on abortion, then why would it be included in this proposed amendment? I think it's just to confuse people, to make them think that it's not currently allowed. I've seen advertisements in Ohio that straight out are untrue. They imply that um, contraception would be affected, and a contraception, of course, is specifically exempt in the current law. Again, they imply that doctors can't treat miscarriages. Clearly untrue, and it doesn't take a medical degree to read the law and to discover that it specifically allows an exemption for that. So this is an example of just trying to confuse people um, in order to obtain their priority, which is the ability to end unborn human life for any reason at any time in pregnancy. We've been talking to Dr. Ingrid Scott. She's vice president and director of medical affairs for the Charlotte Lozier Institute and a board certified OBGYN practicing in Texas. You can find the Charlotte Lozier Institute 
linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Scott, really appreciate your thoughts this morning, clearing this issue up for us, and uh, hope to have you back again soon to talk about some other issues uh, contained within issue one. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Most definitely. And uh, listeners in Ohio, if you are interested in finding a lot more information about these issues facing Ohio in November, you can actually go to our website. We've got a whole page devoted to it, sacredheartradio.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis... Pope Francis leaves this afternoon for Marseille, France. His main purpose is to participate in the final session of the Mediterranean meetings, which bring together bishops and young people from North Africa, the Middle East, and Southern Europe. Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Parolin is calling this an opportunity to promote a spirit of cohesion among European nations, particularly on the issue of migration. Pope Francis earlier this week traveled to the Basilica of St. Mary Major to pray before the icon of the Salus Papali Romani to devote this trip to Our Lady's care. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has urged UN member states to join efforts for peace in Ukraine. From Vatican Radio, Sister Nina Benedicta Kropic reports. The Archbishop noted that Ukraine is defending its sovereignty and the inviolability of its internationally recognized borders, which are the same values promoted at UN. However, he said, in the cruel and senseless war against Ukraine, we are witnessing that the highest price is paid by civilian children, young people, and the elderly. Archbishop Gallagher said that the great evil of war is expanding beyond the Ukrainian borders, not only covering with this thick shadow Europe, but also other continents. War, he added, is infiltrating human hearts, making them containers of a logic of war. Recalling Pope Francis's words that the world is living through a third world war fought piecemeal. If this war is not stopped and peace is not sought at every turn, the whole world risks plunging into even deeper crisis, said Archbishop Gallagher. He stated that the solution not only regards Ukraine, but the entire international community, highlighting that the time has come to ask ourselves, some of Pope Francis's questions. What am I doing today for the Ukrainian people? Am I doing something? He urged all UN member states, and especially those of the Security Council, to join efforts in the search for just and lasting peace for Ukraine. Archbishop Gallagher expressed that the Holy See is close to Ukraine, fully upholds its territorial integrity, and continues to engage in humanitarian initiatives while urging all parties to be courageous artisans of peace. I'm Sister Nina Benedicta Krapic. Republican lawmakers have pressed Attorney General Merrick Garland over the FBI's handling of investigations into Catholic and pro-life groups. During a congressional hearing earlier this week, New Jersey Republican Jefferson Van Drew listed a series of incidents of anti-Catholic bias within the FBI and asked Garland whether he believed traditional Catholics are violent extremists. I think that... Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? Everything in that memo is... Are they extremists or not? I'm asking a simple question. Say no if you think that was wrong. Catholics are not extremists. No. Garland, who is Jewish, said, I have no idea what traditional means here. Going on to say, quote, the idea that someone with my family background would discriminate against any religion is so outrageous, so absurd, end quote. 
Automakers are laying off more workers as contract talks between the UAW and the big three automakers continue. The UAW strike kicked off a week ago, prompting Ford, General Motors and Stellantis to send workers home at affected plants. Around 1,300 workers so far are on strike in the first stage of walkouts, while the president of the UAW warns more workers will hit the picket lines if a deal is not reached today. According to a new study from Morning Consult, 53% of Generation Z believe they can make a lot of money as a social media influencer. Trey Thomas has more. Morning Consult branding analyst Ellen Briggs says the idea of striking it rich as an influencer is not all that far-fetched. In general, people are keeping their day jobs and posting online as a side gig to make extra cash here and there. She points out that people with a lot of followers can cash in on product placement, endorsements, and affiliate programs. I'm Trey Thomas. Parts of the East Coast will see a tropical storm warning this weekend. The National Hurricane Center issued the warning from just below Wilmington, North Carolina, up the Maryland-Delaware state line. It's calling the low-pressure area currently potential tropical cyclone 16. Depending on when it's officially named, it could either be Ophelia or Philippe. It's 35 past the hour. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, which are the chief effects of the redemption? The chief effects of the redemption are two the satisfaction of God's justice by Christ's sufferings and death, and the gaining of grace for men. Satisfaction of God's justice. This indicates that God is just. He is not one who is blind to the evils of this world. And when we cry out to the Lord looking for justice, we know that his justice will come. And it did come through Christ. And so when we are united to Christ, we are united to God's justice. And also we should give God right order so that what sin made disordered, well, righteousness in Christ now sets right. And so through Christ's example and through his humanity, he deserved a reward. And this is the merit that he gained, the grace for us to enter eternal life as sons and daughters of the Father. That is redemption. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I am Matt Swaim, and I'm glad that you're along, and I hope you've had a great week, and I hope you have a great weekend. But we're not ready to set you go, set you free just yet. we got more stuff to talk about. Bobby Schindler now joining us 
from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. You can find them online at lifeandhope.com. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So we've been talking in all kinds of segments with all kinds of people about artificial intelligence and how rapidly it's developing and the various ways it's affecting different kinds of things. But uh, it's actually come into play in your work recently. I wonder if you could talk about the, the latest on that. Sure. Uh, yes, and I and I read this article with pause, uh, Matt. So they they found two graduate students actually from Western University. They they have said they developed a groundbreaking method uh, for predicting when ICU pa- ICU patients will survive a severe brain injury. And what they've done is they've combined what they call an uh, fMRI. It's it's a more sophisticated type of MRI. MRI machine, uh, Matt. Uh, they're very expensive, and not all, all because of that, not all hospitals have them. But they combine the fMRI. In fact, uh, Matt, I don't know if you remember, but it was actually fMRI, um, and I think we spoke about it on the program, that was able to tell whether a person was in a PVS, a persistent vegetative mm-hmm. state, or not. A big discovery within the last uh, 10 years. So they combine that with some type of AI uh, machinery to learn, and they found, and, and they tested uh, in, in a London uh, hospital and ICU. They tested 25 patients uh, after the first few days of their serious brain injury, and they came out with an 80 percent uh, accuracy rate on uh, whether the uh, the patient would survive or not. So that's essentially what they found, but. Um, this raises all kind of questions, and my main question really is the intention of these findings, Matt, because as we know, in the culture we live, particularly the things we speak about every week with healthcare and brain injuries, how are they going to use uh, these questions when asked to, pay to, to families when they believe that their loved one might not survive, might not survive a serious brain, an initial serious brain injury? Well, this is another one we've been talking about with Father Philip Luray uh, a lot lately about the ethics of artificial intelligence. You can only impute some of this morality to the machines themselves. Actually, you can't really impute much of it all. It all has to do with the intentions of the people using them, right, and the formation of the right. people who are accessing this technology. Because I could see in some ways uh, you know, a situation that might look hopeless at the moment. You could run a simulation and be like, actually, you know what? We shouldn't give up hope because— with 80% accuracy, we can predict some sort of recovery. But I can also people see, see people saying, well, you know, it's about 65% chance that this person might pull through and 45% that they won't, and the insurance company will only pay if you've got like a 68% survival rate. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like I can see this being really, really abused. Right, and you intertwine the insurance interest in industry, and, and that's a, a huge concern. But in the medical community, Matt, and we, and we know we oftentimes don't see this, but it should always work to preserve life, to respect the human dignity of the person. So, yes, yeah, so what are the intentions? I mean, we're already seeing families being pressured based on uh, standard testing today uh, from doctors, and much of it is subjective. And in, in the first few hours even, Matt, when a doctor will come to a conclusion based on a CAT scan or, or some other types of uh, um, evaluation of the brain, they already, they're already pressuring families, asking them the hard questions and pushing them to stop treatment. Now when they have this, they have even more, you know, quote-unquote evidence 
uh, that the person might not survive a brain injury, are they going to use this to, to be even a stronger persuasion to, to, get, to uh, motivate the family to stop treatment? So, as I said, Matt, you know, what's the intention? I mean, obviously this could be used, okay, uh, he has a serious brain injury, doesn't look like he's going to do well, so let's try different, Let, let's form some type of protocol to help this person to see if, in fact, they can respond to this rehabilitation because we're finding out that they have a, a pretty serious brain injury. So it's a concern, and, and when you wrap the insurance industry in this, if they're, they're going to grab onto this, uh, who knows how they're going to use it to, to help with their funding and using resources to help these people recover. Well, what's interesting, too, is that we talk about this all the time on this segment. Even with all the technology we have and all the, I mean, really rapidly developing technology, we still, there's so much we don't know about the brain, right? There are so many things that go on in the mystery of neuroscience that we've only just scratched the surface of, and we're getting closer to finding out more things. Uh, We certainly know a lot more now than we used to, but there's still just a lot of unknowable and unknown stuff about the brain. Right, and, and Matt, it was interesting. I was reading this article, and it occurred to me, I was reading some of the questions that they posed that they could ask these families, uh, what they do ask these families when, when they experience a brain injury. And you can look at these questions they're asking, and you can almost apply it to what they ask uh, parents when they find out that their unborn child might have some type of disability, whether it's Down syndrome mm-hmm. uh, or some other type of uh, severe uh, disability. Are they going to survive? What, the, what, what kind of quality of life are they going to have? have. And, and why do they ask these parents these questions? Because they're trying to push them towards an abortion. Well, you can apply these same questions to this technology. Why are they asking these families? Look, he's got a, we're finding out he's got an 80% chance that he's not going to su- survive uh, two weeks or whatever it might be. I mean, the questions that are going to be asked could be to frighten the families into stopping treatment. Who would want to live like this? because we know your, your son or daughter is going to be a severely disabled condition and never recover. But as we know, Matt, and as I have posted on our website, we have dozens and dozens of stories of patients that defied odds, that, that, that proved doctors wrong, that said the doctors were telling families the prognosis is grim, they're probably not going to survive, they're, they're going to be disabled, they're going to be in a, they'll be bedridden their whole lives, and, and these people have proved them wrong. So, yeah, as, as I said, and as, as you said too, Matt, in, in the offset, in the, in the beginning, of the, in the beginning, we, we must always preserve life, and, and machines can't they can't uh, distribute or, or come up with the morality of, of a decision. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring up that analogy because for every person I've heard who defied the odds with a traumatic brain injury, I've heard of like a thousand uh, who defied the odds for poor prenatal diagnosis, <laughs> right? Because uh, right. I mean. I just known so many people who were told they will never live a normal life, and in, uh, a lot of them have lived kind of normal lives. A lot of them have had medical problems, but were not you know miserable and bedridden their whole lives. I mean, there there's just like there's just a range of this stuff, and you can predict to an extent, but there's just some things that you can't know, and that's why we default to saying, "All right, we're the medical profession. Let's take care of someone in a way that promotes health." And, and what's so and what's so troubling, Matt, in, 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 in today's world and today's and what we're seeing in healthcare, it, it's you'd like to see some you'd like to see technology once come out and where it's not so easy where this when a decision is to end life and kill, you know, the doctors go right along and, and they're like, Okay, what do we need to make this person comfortable as we as we 
and you know terminate care. But when you want to preserve life, and when you want to give the person a chance, that's when the fight begins, and that's why we get the calls. You want to kill someone or end their treatment? It's it's a it's a it's a real easy decision for healthcare today. You want to preserve life and try to do everything possible to help this person. That's when the fight starts, and that's what's so troubling. That's what's so frustrating. You, you'd like to see for once when technology like this comes out, it's used for the good and it's used to help the patient and, 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 and try everything possible to help this patient recover. Well, and it's just a reminder that the culture of life is not merely just, you know, a matter of making it illegal to kill people in those situations, but also thinking like, how do we, how do we fix some of the just astronomical costs associated with long-term care so that we don't pressure the whole industry in this direction towards forcing people down this path, right, of trying to choose death uh, in a situation. There's, it's, it's, it's a whole kind of overhaul, a whole different perspective that the gospel of life gives us on what it means to treat people and uh, how, we, how we view those who are vulnerable, who are least among us, as it were. Uh, Bobby Schindler, if our listeners want to connect with you and the Life and Hope Network, how do they do so? Sure, it's lifeandhope.com, lifeandhope.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks, Bobby. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. All right, we look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan. Next, it's 14 till. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share. 844-334-3245. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. To ask, why should I pray, is the same as asking, why should I raise my mind and heart to God, since that's what prayer is. But when stated like that, it's pretty obvious. We need to pray because God is He to whom our minds and hearts are ultimately directed. Union with Him is our ultimate destiny. Without prayer, we lose our direction to God as our ultimate end, and thus set ourselves on a path that leads back into the slavery of sin. 12 Till, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis is preparing to depart Rome this afternoon for Marseille, France, to participate in the final session of the Mediterranean meetings. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has urged UN member states to join efforts for peace in Ukraine. And parts of the East Coast will be seeing a tropical storm warning this weekend. 
News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Who knows, I might see a couple of you out at the St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Shrine today. They're having a dedication and blessing of their new visitor center and museum. It's over there near the campus of Mount St. Mary's University and down the hill from the Lord's Grotto, which is awesome as well. So excited for our friends at the Seton Shrine. Go to Seton Shrines. Uh, it's seatonshrine.org if you want to find out more and live stream the Mass today. Father Jonathan Duncan now joining us from the Diocese of Charleston, and he is a pastor, chaplain, does all kinds of things down there in the diocese. He helps us look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings. Father, good morning. Good morning, Matt. I should I should say I'm I'm driving in the passenger seat with my 15-year-old who's driving himself to school, so if I die in the next five minutes, I just want the Lord to remember on Judgment Day that I talked to you good people as my last act on this earth. Well, you tell that kid of yours, you know, that this is bad radio. It'd be bad radio for for them to to do that live. Uh, But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, We have such a, a gospel this morning that is such a check on... Um, the idea of pride in the spiritual life, the idea of entitlement, uh, maybe even the idea that if we just do all of the right things the right way, then we've somehow earned our position. But this parable that Jesus tells about the laborers in the vineyard getting hired at different times of day, I mean, it really is a window into the mystery of how grace works and how the Lord thinks. Absolutely. I mean, I think we're, we're hardwired for fairness, and so the second we hear that parable, our, our instinct is, yeah, I would be upset too. And that's because, you know, so often we want to approach the spiritual life in the same way we approach every other aspect of our life, which is um, fairness. Uh, and so we're thinking, uh, you know, it, it simply wasn't fair. And yet, if we, if we stop and take a moment and consider fairness is a response. That, that's what you want out of a transaction, right? I want the lady at the checkout line. I, I want her to be fair with me. I want the person that I uh, buy my house from. I want them to be fair with me. You got fairness a house full of kids. Everybody wants the same amount of exactly. the same size slice of pie, man. But it's but it's transactional, right? Whereas, and it's and it's natural. But the kingdom requires something beyond the natural. Something super, you know, there's nothing supernatural about just wanting that same slice of pie, wanting the checkout lady to be fair. The kingdom is grounded in something supernatural, which is grace and generosity. And Christ is saying, if you're going to be in this kingdom, you have to shift and begin to desire not just fairness, but your relationships to be marked by generosity and grace, because ultimately that is how you've been approached. And when we lose sight of the fact that even the most pious of us need that grace and mercy from God, then all of a sudden it should reorient our relationships with others so that we're not just trying to get the bare minimum fairness, but we're seeking mercy and generosity, um, because that is the hallmark of the kingdom. And that's what this parable is all about. It's, It's not about, you know, Business, business ethics or, you know, bargaining tactics with your employer. It's about the kingdom being grounded in the absolute utter grace and mercy and generosity of the Lord Jesus. And if we don't get that, then 
we will be those prideful, self-assured religious types, which the parables are constantly rebuking, and the life and preaching of the Lord Jesus constantly a rebuke to. Well, there are people who read things that way. I I read this a little bit differently than I than I used to, and uh, maybe it's because I've lived more life, or maybe it's because I don't know. I've seen some stuff. Um, but when I read this, I read it as a sign of hope because I don't know about you. I have a lot of people who are far away from the life of the church. I don't know how far away they are from God because I can't see inside of them, but. I pray, you know, that no matter how late in the day it gets, that some time happens in that person's world that they turn towards the Lord. And the the reason I have that hope is because Jesus says there's going to be a lot of people like that, right? So I, this gives me hope in a lot of ways. It is. And, and I've, talked, I've talked to so many people in, you know, in our families, friends, who, you know, they despair over their kids who have left the church, their grandkids who have left the faith. Um, you know, siblings, all of these kinds of things. And I think this, you're right, this is such a sign of hope that that mercy and that generosity is available to them, and by the mystery of God's calling, it may come at the very last moment after they've lived a life far away from Christ. But you know what? That mercy and that generosity is so beautiful, we know it's, it's going to draw some to him, even towards the end. Maybe it's on their deathbed. Maybe it's in the last months of their life. I, you know, I, a lot of my ministry is in the hospital setting, and I do, I encounter people who've maybe been away from the Church, and yet as they begin to face death, they begin to consider what's really been important, and they begin to consider uh, who is at the center of their life and who has been the ground of their life and the source of all of the good things they've received. And it brings them back to Christ and to his church, and they want to go to confession, and it's a beautiful thing. And this parable points forward to that mystery and that reality. And maybe part of the reason that that works out that way is because of the prayers of their grandmother who died 80 years ago, (laughs) right? You just don't know how the mystery of that stuff works out. So we work, you know, to the extent that we know that we're supposed to. We pray that others, you know, come into the vineyard as well. And I don't care what time anybody comes in, you know, as long and as we see we end if up we see what us. we're called to do now as as laborious, as oh, you know, I have to I had to do all this stuff, mm-hmm. then we're not seeing it as we should anyway, because what we should see is that no, we've been given the gift to be able to live according to how we're called to live even now. We've been given the, the vision of human flourishing now, which is celebrating the feasts of the Church, worshiping the Church, living a life in accordance with Christ, in communion with Christ. So it's not this burden now, it's the gift now that we're given, and we, we hope and pray that many will receive that gift even late in the day. More people means a bigger party as far as I'm concerned. Thanks so much, Father Jonathan Duncan. That wraps it up for a Friday. We'll talk to you all on a Monday. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.